Hey, what's up? Hey, how's it going, man? Doing all right. Doing okay. When are you heading back to LA? LA. Uh, Friday. Oh, Friday. nice. Yeah. Basu, how's it going? Good evening, Russell. Tomas Hussein. Hey, I'm living the dream. How are y'all doing this evening? I'm doing okay. Awesome, awesome. I think uh, I think Tom is just wrapping up. He's got a room going. I think he's wrapping that up, and he'll be joining us shortly, I believe. Yeah, I saw that. Um, he's been active the last couple of days that I've noticed. Uh, so uh, can't wait for him to spend some time with us this evening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Just trying to add some uh, topic words here. Mm. You know, it's. I think that's in the, the town hall for Clubhouse on Sunday for iOS in two weeks, maybe a week and a half now, they're going to do that thing where you can pre-stage all your stuff before you go live on iOS. Android's had oh. it for a while, but whatever they call that, I'm like, oh, that'd be really nice to have it all set, ready to go when, when yeah. you click go. That that would be very useful because then I don't have to look, well, be like I am now, which is trying mm -hmm. to plug away. It's the yep. cast. The I cast get it. Um, What's going on, guys? Hey there. It's going. All right, hey. we got some. We got the room going. Hey, Katie. Hey, I just popped in from uh, the other room that Tom Ryan is in. So yeah. I, I actually pop back in there just to remind everybody that he has somewhere to be. Yeah, oh, no worries. So kind. Yeah, give me one second. I'll be right back. All right. That is okay. Thanks, uh, thanks everybody who's uh, who's in the audience joining us this evening. We'll get started promptly at around eight p.m. Eastern time, or as soon as uh, as soon as Thomas as soon as Tom uh, joins us. Um, yeah. He is popular on Clubhouse. If you're not in any of his other rooms, he does do quite a few rooms throughout the week. So uh, if you have the time, you should join in. Great conversations. I actually did not make it this evening. I was, uh, it's been a long day. Let's just put it that way. Yeah. It's got a lot going on yep. in the next uh, 11 days or so. I imagine. Yeah, no, it's tough with those front row seats you got there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> it's gonna be yeah. him and PR Newswire in the front row. Nice. Uh, I will remind you, this is being recorded. <laughs> <laughs> front, front row seats to uh, cyber securing the the uh, the venue. So yeah. it should be uh, should be fun. Oh, here comes uh, the man. Uh, there, there, there he is. We've been talking. That's like Beetlejuice. Say his name three or four times, and boom, here he is. <laughs> Tom, how's it going? Microphone check for you, sir. You need some water or something? Not well. Yeah, I actually have to do go grab a water, but yes. All right, go go awesome. ahead and do that. I'm going to go grab some water as well. Uh, I will bring my phone with me. Hey, Lisa Beth, how are you? Lisa Beth, microphone check. Hello, hello. How are you doing today? 
Hey. Doing all right. Doing okay. Hang it in there. Yeah, Russell and I had an opportunity to see each other in real life today. It was a little bit you know, unbelievable that I've been talking to him for a year or more. Yes, never seen it was. In, like in person. It was literally the highlight of my day up until, well, until now we get to hear you. It's just like, whoa, you got a face and eyes and ears, and I didn't know that. And it's just amazing. <laughs> that is funny. Yeah. It's... You guys uh, in, was in uh, Minnesota, right? Well, oh, no, did you we make wasn't it down to Atlanta? Meeting in real life. It was uh, oh, meeting Zoom, on Zoom. Like a, like a conference. Uh, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The next so best close. thing. All right. All right. Look, we got we got a Neil here. Neil, microphone check for you, sir. Hello. Hey, how's it going? All right. Good, good. How are y'all? Doing all right. All right, look, it's 7.59 p.m. Eastern Time. We'll get started promptly in about a minute or so. Uh, once Tom get, gets back uh, from grabbing his his uh, his water, he is in the hot seat this evening. So it should be a fun, insightful uh, conversation. I know I'm looking forward to it as many as well as many others. Uh, if it's the first time you've joined us, this is our weekly fireside chat. We do this every Wednesday from 8 p.m. Eastern Time to about 9.30 p.m. Eastern Time, give or take a minute or two. Uh, we do ask our guests questions for about 30 to 45 minutes, and then we open it up for the audience to sort of pop up on stage, raise your hand, and we'll bring you up, and you can ask the uh, the guests that we have uh, questions. So in that, in this case, it is Tom Ryan. Uh, so just a few quick ground rules. Uh, one, this is actually being recorded, so uh, it will be uh, available on demand. If you, uh, you want to share it, uh, feel free. Go right ahead. Our conversation is recorded, uh, but ground rule number one: let's have fun. Let's have a great time this evening. Uh, this is our week, our weekly series, which is really our midday stress reliever, if you will. I've had a very long day. Uh, I've got eleven days to go for a big event, or a small event, however you want to put it. Um, so it is, uh, it is getting close to crunch time for me and I'm sure others are, are sort of feeling some levels of stress. So this is our weekly sort of a uh, stress reliever, you know, let's, let's kick back, let's have fun, let's have a conversation. Um, our comments and opinions for at least for the mo most of us, our, our comments and opinions are our own and do not represent our current or prior employer. Um, so just keep that in mind. The other thing, if you do pop up on stage. Uh, we ask that you try not to solicit us or sell your product or solution. We know you have really great offerings. Uh, now's not the time. Let's use this as a conversation to really get to know Tom on a, on a different level. So we ask that you keep your solicitations or sales pitches or whatever you want to call it to uh, actually let's keep it to zero. Let's keep that to zero. Now is not the right time. Uh, without further ado, Tom, are you back? I am back. Wait, quick question. All right, go for yeah. it. Now that I'm on stage and I'm a moderator. Yep. <laughs> What's the question? I said, um, could I make sales pitches now that I'm a moderator? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, you, you can tell the oh, Tomas oh, all, all you'd like you, to, just, you know. <laughs> you, I was going to say, you're probably not going to have a lot of time to sell, to sell to make any sales pitches, but we do want to get to know you. So look, we'll go around the room. I'm going to introduce myself. Tom, we'll leave you for last. Uh, so I'm Tomas Maldonado. I'm the CISO for a major sports and entertainment league uh, in New York. Uh, Hussein, over to you. Good evening. I'm Hussein Syed. I am the CISO for RWJ, a healthcare 
entity out of New Jersey. The opinions are mine, solely mine. Thank you. Over to Russell. Thanks for saying, hey, Russell Eubanks, privilege to be here, former CISO for the Atlanta Fed. Last couple of years, been running my own uh, program, especially helping companies have lost their CISO and helping people get uh, promoted to their dream CISO job. David. I don't miss disclaimers, but over to you, my friend. <laughs> Thanks, Russell. Yep, and still disclaimers, but yeah, David Cass, um, former Federal Reserve appointee for large institution supervision, so as a regulator. Now I'm a senior partner at Law and Forensics, so any opinion I express is still mine, and mine alone doesn't represent that of my past or current employers, and any advice I give does not constitute legal advice. Uh, Katie, over to you. Hi, everybody. I'm Katie Hanahan. All of my opinions, um, particularly the controversial ones, are all Tom Ryan's fault. Um, besides that, though, uh, everything else is, uh, you know, my own. Um, I'm the VP of Cybersecurity Strategy uh, for a, a small SI out of Chicago and also a VCSO and run our VCSO program. Uh, I'm so excited for tonight. I, I know Tom from, uh, met him from Clubhouse and, um, you know, we're having a crossover event uh, between the Security Mindset Club and Fireside Chat and I'm just tickled to death. So uh, with that, I'll pass it over to Lisa. Hello, hello everyone. My name is Lisa Beth Lentini Walker and I run a compliance ethics and corporate governance consulting firm called Lumen Worldwide Endeavors. Um, I also teach law school in the United States and Europe. And uh, in my free time, I wrote a book uh, called Raise Your Game, Not Your Voice. Uh, so that's a little bit about me. On to you, Anil. Thanks, Lisa. Welcome aboard, Tom. Anil Varghese, I am a five-time CISO, currently serving as a virtual CISO for two firms, uh, one on the West Coast and one uh, based out of the UK. Uh, looking forward to the engaging conversation. Back to you, Tomas. Five-time CISO. You would have thought you would have quit after one time, but uh, way to hang in there, Anil. Way to hang in there. Love for punishment. So look, we... <laughs> you are so look we have a great conversation this evening uh, again if you if you are if it's the first time you joined us there's a little greenhouse on the top left of your screen next to where it says fireside chat it looks like a, a little monopoly house feel free to click that and you can join our club we're joined this evening by thomas ryan or tom ryan uh most of the folks on the on the stage and in the audience know tom from his uh his other clubhouse uh, chats that he has pretty uh, are going on pretty consistently throughout the throughout the week but tom why don't you introduce yourself? Why don't you tell us a little bit more about you? And you know, my first question, tell us a little bit about your origin story. How did you arrive to where you are today? And give us that sort of background and in between backstory on you. Go for it. Uh, so you want me to start off at what I do now? Or you want me to start off at the very beginning? Start off at the very beginning, Tom. I, I, like, to, I like to understand how how you think and to, to a certain degree like what what shaped you and molded you into uh into becoming who you are all right i definitely have to say what shaped and molded me is you know how i grew up where i grew up everything else so growing up as a kid i grew up in sunset park in good old brooklyn back in the days of all the gangs in the 70s and 80s that was uh it was kind of a lot of the things that helped molded me in the direction i went um where that led me, you know, yeah, I think it was like sixth grade when they first started getting me into computers, when mom said, you know, it's time for you to, uh, it's time for you to take something. So I started taking computer classes. It started off with basic. And the next thing you know, I have, you know, Commodore 64 and then start leading its way. 
so on and so forth. Get in high school, then it became all about sports, you know, like what happens with a lot of us. Now, I started off at eight years old playing hockey because that was the big thing. And I pretty much played hockey until I went to Navy. High school, I joined the swim team. Uh, also played baseball. So I was busy at all times. So there really wasn't time for computers after I started. With that being said, you know, the neighborhood molded me. You know, I got involved with a couple of different graffiti crews, a different couple of gangs that got me in a little trouble. Mom says, time to get out of New York. All right, so I go to Jersey. Jersey has does bad things to people. You know, after a year in Jersey, I said, you know what? Time to bail out. Uh, with that, I joined the Navy. Now, my grandfather kind of influenced me on it. I was originally going to go in the Army. And grandfather was just like the big mold of the family. He's like, whatever he says, how to go. Typical old Italian off the boat coming to the U.S. So he goes, you do realize I was in the Navy and your father was in the Navy and your uncles were in the Navy. Oh, and your godfather was in the Navy. Nobody was in the Army. Your grandmother's brother was in the Air Force. Eh, we'll accept that for now. So I ended up going in the Navy afterwards and that kind of helped, you know, shape me up, put in the right mindset. Um, travel the world, you know, and kind of learn lots of different things. Now, back then there was no cyber. There was nothing even close to that. I mean, we were on Windows 3.1 playing solitaire when we were bored. You know, just to give you a rough idea. I know I look a little young, you know. I just turned 28 for the 22nd time not too long ago. And, you know, then came the rough part. You get out of the military and you're like, well, what do I do? Because what I did really doesn't transfer into the real world. So what do I do? So I do what I did best. I started off playing mechanic because I used to build street race cars. And, you know, it was the beginning of the dot-com boom then. So I was a mechanic by day, a bouncer at night. And it gave me a lot of different things. So I had the military mindset. You had that situational awareness. When you're a bouncer, you start to see things a whole lot differently. Because uh, you start probing the room just like you did in the military. And once I got into computers, I was like, well, where can I go to learn stuff? And this was part of the problem. As I said, just 95 now. I'm like, there's no schools for this. I remember going to a school to want to learn. And I said, where can I learn like Perl and HTML? They tried to sell me on COBOL. All right. I'm sure that makes sense. You laugh. So <laughs> obviously I did not take COBOL. So I said, okay, where you know, where can I go teach myself this stuff? And then I taught myself this stuff and then I got my first job. Okay, first job, and then you know, any of you that have been around a while during the dot-com boom, they always entice you with more money all the time. So you get one job and then you get the next and then you get the next. So within two years, I was on my third job and it was at this lovely little place all of you probably heard of or your kids have heard of. It was Scholastic. 
And it was also the biggest rewarding time as well as the most challenging times. So I started off as a developer. And from there, before you know it, I'm the lead developer. And then I'm running a team. And then we had to revamp the whole site. So that was something to remember because I had my team and then doing it and then rewarding the team because I always looked at it as, you know, nobody does anything on their own. It's their team. Okay. When you look at all the great leaders, they're leaders because of the people that they bring with them. So if you're ever in a company and you see a new leader coming in and he never brought anyone with him, you know right away that there's going to be some issues. So with that being said, I moved on to my next job. That was an interesting interview because this evil bank enticed me by doubling my pay. And <laughs> I got bored with it. I'm like, wow, all these controls and regulations. And, you know, it's great money, but it's boring. And then I went to for another interview and it was an evil tobacco empire. And I remember it specifically because in the interview, it's like, well, what do you know about security? And I literally just hacked them right there in the interview. I said, well, here's your usernames, your passwords, your database connection strings, boom, 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 thank you. And that's what really got in. Now, going back, well, what got you in from a developer to cybersecurity? Well, back at Scholastic, we had two little incidences, and this is going back to 99. We were launching the first Harry Potter website. Guess what? It's just like graffiti. Some little 16-year-old kid's going to come along and do something. So he came along and defaced the site. But because we were all on DSL at the time, you know, we had his IP address. And back then, we all hosted our own websites on our home DSL. So we were able to track him down. We scared him a little bit. That was fine. It was just a defacement. And then was a couple of weeks later, a month, a couple of months, there was this little unknown Chinese-American hacker war. And the extent of it's not stealing data or doing anything else. It's just automated you know, site defacements, you know, because back then defacing websites was the big thing before e-commerce. Once e-commerce came out is when everything turned crazy. So after that, I ended up at the evil tobacco empire and then all the fun began happening. So they gave me lots of different things to start uh, testing security because they thought it was a cool new thing. And the one thing I remember was, you know, and the first worm I had to deal with was Code Red, if any of you remember Code Red. And it crippled us literally for, <laughs> it crippled us literally for seven days. And basically, you know, I sit there and think about it. I said, well, that's because we have 6,500 IAS servers running on developers workstations. You know, I went over to the, you know, the SOC team. I'm like, can't we just create a policy to shut the, all of it down? You know, Windows policy, shut it down and force everybody to reboot and we're fixed. No, you're the new guy. You know nothing. Well, seven days later, that's exactly what they did. You know, and this is kind of my origin story. Then I moved on. 
you know, went to go work for a government agency for a while, said, this isn't for me, don't like the politics. Then I became a VP, and that's how, also how I know a couple other CISOs because they were all working with me at that agency. After that, you know, I, I got to become a VP of R&D and run a pen test team. And that's when it truly got exciting. You know, it's like, okay, what can I do? And so the CEO goes, this is your task. With the pen test team, you have to, you know, pretty much bring us to bring it up to a million dollars a year. Well, I was able to get in there with four people and bring it to four million, as well as starting to bring in other resources. You know, and that and that's just when it comes down to the core thing of networking. So I took all my friends from all the stuff I learned before. You know. So what I had to do to learn everything was going back. Uh, what was it? Two, yeah, back to 99. You know, I said, how do I learn the cybersecurity stuff? So I started going to 2600 meetings. I went to DEF CON. When I went to DEF CON, I started meeting all the loft guys, the CDC guys. And then, you know, by the time I got to running a team, it's like I was in the same league as them. And watching where all these guys have gone now, it's kind of amazing. Because my number one competitor was right up the block from me at the time. It was at stake. And they were at 3 Wall Street. I was at 80 Wall Street. But I'd walk by there all the time. I said, man, I wish I could work here. And then all of a sudden, you know, they got sold off to Symantec. And I was like, oh, that's the end of that. Going forward with that, did many years from that. And then there's always that time you want to dip your toe in that water. I said, okay, let me try starting my own business. I started my own business with the vision of I'll be able to merge, you know, physical security and cybersecurity together. Little did I know the politics behind that, the pains behind that. All right. So the way we did it was my partner was a former Secret Service agent. So we utilized that. So Cyber and physical, we were doing executive protection, OSINT, all of that, pen testing, investigations, you name it. And it got to be profitable. You know, from a two-person business with a couple of contractors, we got up, you know, two and a half million within a year and a half, and then just kept progressing. And from that is when the, the, the protection details is where it got interesting. I think the best one I had we had to do a detail for an event with, it was quite unique. It was Bush and Clinton at the same time, all right? Because my partner was former Secret Service. We did all the advanced playbooks, handed it off to the Secret Service. We got to hang around for the events. We got to meet them, and that was awesome. And then we got to start meeting all these former secretaries of state. Those were awesome gigs. I got to meet Colin Powell, Condoleezza Rice. Terry Bradshaw, you name it, every big name player that had to go do events. And I was truly starting to like it. And the, the niche play that we brought in is you, you know, you had to do OSINT on everybody attending, right? which made it a niche play. And what the first lesson I learned from that is I failed because not realizing maybe I should have created software for this. This would have made it so much easier. And then it grows and grows and it took off for a while. And then, you know, stuff after a while just goes downhill. You know, it didn't work out. And 
when we finally shut down the business, you know, I asked two of my customers, one was the CFO, one is the COO. I'm like, Dave, Randy, what did I do wrong? He's like, well, you didn't know two things. You didn't know sales. You didn't know marketing. You relied too much on word of mouth and relationships, and that can only last for so long. And with that said, I freaking jumped out of my normal thing, and I went over to sales. The problem with going over to sales is guess what? Once you dip your foot in, you're not getting out too easy because when you're good at what you do, you do make a decent chunk of change. We call that going over to the dark side, Tom. You went over to the dark side. But do you know how, see, I, I know it's the dark side. You know, I was lucky enough to get a job with HP at the time doing Fortify because I did AppSec all day long because I'm sure you see my friend Tom Brennan. So I started New York OWASP chapter with Stan Guzik. He's the CTO over at S&P and another guy, uh, Peter Stern, who's over at IBM. We started it back in 2003 and it really took off. And then we really built up the community in New York to, to where we had the first profitable OWASP conference and then the, the most profitable one. You know, and it was Tom and I and a bunch of others that just put the stuff together. Other people that were in the audience were core contributors to that. And that's why I kind of started that security mindset club is because of community. So and there's so many questions that we want that I wanna, you know, I wanna make sure we we, we can get to, to to dig into that. You know, I, I hear there's some interesting stories yep. um about uh what so is it? Yeah, but that's a, that's some more that's some more stuff, and I, I know you've got look. So first and foremost, Tom, thank you for your service. Um, you know, thank you for for uh, for all you you've done, uh, service service oriented wise, and it's it's great to to uh, to have you on the stage with us. Um, I want to get to some of your your really interesting stories, but I know I'm getting I'm getting texts from the from the from the mod saying, hey, we've got to ask him some questions too. So uh, if you permit us. <laughs> Plenty of time. You see, I have a specific goal, and you're going to hate me for this. We're going beyond your normal time limit tonight, sir. Oh, yeah. We, we are we're going, definitely going to hate you for that. <laughs> we are going to 10.22, so we can be all twos across the board. Look at that. All right. I'm, <laughs> I'm going to pass it over to Hussein. Hussein, you want to ask Tom and keep the conversation flowing. Hey, Tom, nice to meet you. Thank you for your service. You know, you're valiant folks. Keep us safe. Uh, question here is, tell us something about yourself that really tested your resolve in moving from all the different career paths you took and made you, you know, really think I got to take this direction because that's better for my uh, career growth or what I'm thinking today. Yeah, I think that didn't happen until I actually went into sales, believe it or not. And the the weird part about going into sales, it's like I'm going to a dark side, I'm doing this a long time. And then I started realizing from that, it changed my whole mindset. So going over to sales, I got to learn people's problems from a different point of view. And I was, I was not a product seller, I was a solution seller. This is the best way to do stuff. And then also, how do I take those people, those customers as a partnership and excel them forward? You know, uh, I, I wish I could bring some of the other ones on, but they're kind of hesitant about Clubhouse. I could tell you offline. 
But one of them's in the audience. It's like I started a whole. So what I did from sales, I went over to go work over at Fortify, selling application security. And first thing I realized was there's a gap in the cybersecurity space. And all of you on here have also felt the same thing. It's like, you know what? I'm doing good in life. How do I help other people? So I started a university program at work and we basically give the security software, you know, four to five web inspect away to universities along with all the training curriculum, basically to take our customers to when they want to hire those junior people. It was that, and that's kind of what I liked about the whole giving back thing. And that was kind of transformational for me. And, you know, on the back end, it also paid off because the one thing I learned is by giving back, there's always reciprocity for it. So that was my biggest transformational thing. Right. Yeah. We were a customer of the HP security products for a while. They were good products. Over to you, Russell. Thanks for saying, Tom, man, I feel like we could talk for a minute. Uh, like others said, thank you for your service in the Navy. Really appreciate that. And your executive protection stories, I'm sure could keep us up for, for, for many nights. But the question, so for me, I, I love lessons learned and after action reviews and after action reports and the idea of, you know, get wisdom as cheaply as you can. So the question is, what one thing have you learned recently that you put into practice that you can share with all of us here in the room uh, so that we can get wisdom as cheaply as we can from some of your recent life uh, learnings, whether it's a good thing, bad thing, the thing thing, love to kind of learn from, from some of your experience. So a couple of different things I've learned. So I dipped away from Fortify for a little while and from the AppSec, I went over to security operations. And I learned a lot from it because now I'm looking at it from the defender's view, not the attacker's view. And what can go wrong with all this technology that's out there? And the importance of your team to help you make the right decisions. So one thing, AI platform, you know, you have your third party service that managers not making all the wrong decisions. And then they corrupt the algorithm. And if they corrupt the algorithm, guess what? Now real attacks are getting in, you're not noticing it. That was one lesson learned. Other lessons learned is um I, I, just listening, you know, and Clubhouse really forces you to do this. That's why Clubhouse is an interesting platform. Before you even speak, you should listen to what the people's problems are. And then taking the, those problems and try and see who else has had similar problems. Okay, because a lot of people have the same problems. And this is kind of guiding me to where I'm going in the future. And with those similar ones, don't listen to the sales rep. You know, talk to the other customers. So I believe that. So me and my counterpart, Mike Coleman, we started just doing customer user groups, you know, and listen to other customers. Don't just listen to the sales rep so you can learn from their experiences. You know, because one thing I've learned is this is a life of continuous learning. Okay. What I knew three, if I left this industry for two or three years, I'd be decades behind. You know, and then you have to rely on those right people to help you make the right decisions. Does that help you, Russell? Uh, doubly so. And, and thank you, Tom, for that, that insight of things that have 
happened to you? And we get the opportunity to decide, to, to learn from that and get wisdom as cheaply as we can. Well, hey, David, over to you, my friend. Oh, thanks so much, uh, Russell. Uh, and uh, uh, I definitely know that I know you and some of the, the usual suspects from Fortify. <laughs> uh, I was wondering why your name was so familiar to me. But now, I mean, and I think, you know, you, you've done a tremendous amount uh, and accomplished a lot in your career. And, and I think some of the key things is like OWASP has been so instrumental in helping progress things from a, you know, open source and from a security point of view. You know, how do you see those you know, opportunities continuing to grow and kind of continuing to help out in that, you know, in the public private sector to kind of help advance, you know, software security in general? Yeah, excellent question. So I think software security is becoming the new big true pain in the butt. The biggest problem we had when we started the LWASP community, everybody loved to come because we always had sponsorship funding and you were always guaranteed pizza and beer. And we kind of held off on the beer towards the end, otherwise everybody would drink it all and then there'd be nothing for everybody else that comes in late. But it, it was the power of networking that was the key thing. I mean, our favorite event every year, they threw the best one. They always really hooked us up with Goldman Sachs. And <laughs> it was always around Christmas time and it was in their auditorium and it was just always the best. So how do we take that forward? That's something Tom Brennan and I have talked about a lot because, you know, we kind of walked away because how we were given into Awas for at least 16 years, you know, but how do you take that forward is, is interesting because I'm trying to, my new pet peeve has really become on universities because I'm truly not satisfied the way they're training the new and upcoming individuals. And now when you look at like the Verizon data breach report, you start looking at, you know, all, all the different breaches and how much of it's open source. But to, because of that open source, it's, it's also changed the mindset of it. And what I mean by that is now from an insider threat perspective, you have to start looking at that open source as an insider threat. The reason why I say this is we don't know these, the people that are contributing, okay? There's been a bunch of research that's out there. There's a bunch of stuff that's not even talked about. I had one room on it. It was called Trojan Sources. And what it was is bi-directional Unicode exploits inside a code. It impacted nine languages. And I still have not seen any traction on it. I've seen a bunch of different exploits come out for it where they're you know embedding Trojans inside a Java you know, JavaScript, then you're not even going to see it, you know? And then also, how do you get the FUD away from the sales reps? Because, I mean, Log4j was the perfect example. It's like you got sick of hearing about it, you know? But when now that we're a month, yeah, we're about a, over a month away from it. So what are the lessons learned from that? Okay, one of the biggest problems we have in the open source space is they're not testing their code. And we, how did we realize that? Well, how many times, how many times did they have to create the fix? It was four times because every time they opened, every time they made a fix, they had to go in and create a new patch because they created a new vulnerability. That's the first example. The other problem I find is, you know, and, and everyone's like, well, pen testing is dead. I'm like, obviously you don't know the space then. 
because the one thing that happens is you can have the best AppSec program, but that pen test or red team is always going to find their way in. And a lot of times it's going to be through open source. Like if you turn around and you look at it, I literally mapped out 16 different breaches because of their code repositories. Okay, so it could be a problem with the code repository. It could be a problem with the, you know, the IAM functions of that code repository. The biggest risk that you have now is guess what? You have these code contributors from around the world. Your firewalls are open. Guess what they're always open to? Always open to GitHub, GitLab. Well, as a red teamer, guess where I'm hiding my payload? GitHub, GitLab, because I'll always be able to pull it in. You know, this stuff happens all the time. Uh, I, I actually had to do one where it was an insider threat and they did a pull for a, a custom Chinese VPN uh, from GitHub, built it on the network and exfilled it out that way. So there's always gonna be the insider threat, but how do you map that insider threat as well, especially with open source? Hope that helps answer, David. Yeah, that was very helpful. Thanks so much, uh, Katie. Over to you. Well, thank Katie, you very you wanna, much. Katie, you want to do a quick room reset? Oh, oh, I'd be honored. Thank you. I don't know if I could do the, the same justice that Lisa and you do, but I will try. Uh, so everybody, this is uh, Cybersecurity um, Fireside Chat, uh, which happens every single Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Time, where we meet with industries leaders such as tonight, Tom Ryan, who has an interesting background. We have people in the audience that have been former guests. We have a collaboration of people who are just interested in this, um, you know, in the space where we get to share experiences and talk to each other about um, about our cybersecurity journey. Uh, and it's all over. It's all in. It's all over the place. You know, some of us come from uh, all kinds of backgrounds, which is what I'm getting to with uh, Tom next. And I'm so glad I have the next question. Hope that was an okay. Is that an okay t uh, reset, Tomas? That was perfect. Hey, eh, it was, I mean, it's my first time. I'm a newer moderator, everybody. So thank you very much. You need to get one of those um, machines that Tom has in his room where they can, he actually can have applause for people. So everybody can just, you know, applaud or whatever. Um, but Tom, so I have some actually big questions for you, if it's okay. Um, so, you know, it's interesting. You, you talk about networking. Um, and I actually want to do a call back. Um, so Julie Chapman and I, uh, she was a guest in the room several months ago. I don't know if she was a guest or in the audience, but we, we had a networking event afterwards and she and I talked about something. The biggest thing that came out of it is, you know, beyond our overall conversation is the human factor is the X factor. And obviously that's a big chunk of what we talk about, you know, in general as well, uh, every day, uh, and, and what we do, um, your story about robin sage i mean we, we can't we can't go further without i mean you have a wikipedia page that's dedicated to this person who was able to infiltrate almost every single three-letter agency uh, multiple military agencies um, through the human factor uh, through social engineering and other cybersecurity tactics and physical security tactics are you able to go into that a little bit with us tonight because I am. I, I never get tired of it, ever. And is Robin here tonight? I'm not sure. I didn't see if she was here. But. No, I didn't bring her. What I did. <laughs> so, what I did was, so I created this persona, Robin Sage. Okay, this back in 2009, 
right as I was starting up the business, you know, because you're always looking for that X factor to start telling the business story. The key thing was, is I wanted to show one particular thing. It's, do you know the people you're talking to? Okay. Because social media was the biggest craze at the time, you know, this, that, the other thing. And do you know the information that you're putting out there and what it can be used for? So that was the whole premise of it. All right. So people would post pictures and say, blah, blah, blah. Let me show you this, you know? So the persona Robin Sage, and then I got a picture from a certain site and I used that persona and I used that for the persona. I grabbed a bunch of them, All right? It's kind of hard to do that same thing, replicate it now because of Google images, but there are ways. Now with that, it's, it was kind of weird because then I started to experience what women go through on all, all social media platforms. Hey, an attractive girl, blah, blah, blah. But I also started to realize some of my mistakes, you know, job titles, different things like that. And there were a couple of people that caught on to it and I would just go and make the changes real quick. So that was a Robin 1.0, but I also did several others. And the key things were to show a lot of the dangers of social media. That one got very deep. It's funny because it's taught in 28 different universities in their cybersecurity programs or in their, you know, homeland security programs. But the funnier part is not one person bothered to ask me for a write-up or the actual slides. Everybody took it on their own perspective. The one reporter, the one reporter that actually did the most digging into it was reporter Sean Waterman for the Washington Times. That the article is still out there. But everybody got to write their own perspective. And, you know, I, I have uh, interesting ways of doing things. As a matter of fact, one of my friends at the FBI says, you know, your hat's kind of gray, dark gray. If the wind blows in the wrong direction, you'll probably get arrested. And the reason why he said that is because he started to see some of the other stuff I did. So I'm sure a bunch of you Googled me after some of these stories, and then you saw the Occupy Wall Street stuff. And that basically shows where people take on their own perspective and write up what they want. They don't bother to ask questions or bother to listen to you instead of responses. So what I was doing in that particular one is I, I had a couple of fears about it. And I also used Robin on that particular one. My fear was there was literally terrorist groups blogging about it, trying to say, you know, get involved here, get involved there. It's in the area where 9-11 happened. So it's that instant trigger right away. All right. So after that, what I did was I said, all right, let me go to some of these protests and see who these leaders are. So I had to address differently than I normally do. Go in, listen, you know, I'm like, wow, why are these 60s protesters teaching them how to break out of handcuffs and do all this other stuff? This is weird. And that's when it got interesting. So I went to the protest with some other friends and started watching some of the things. So I said, there's something wrong here. There's a bunch of people being used and they don't know they're being used. I said, so I started thinking, how can I use the message against them? All right, so as they were posting, I started the funnier part is I started using marketing tools to create social media bots. And I, I literally had about 
280 of them running at once. And what they were being used for was collecting this information as well as controlling the message. And the way they were controlling the message is because you would make everything trending using these bots. And then from those bots, you start to realize, hmm, what are the other types of evils I can do with this? I said, all right, I'm going to block all of it. I cross-hashtagged everything with porn. The reason why I did that is because if porn's on there, well, you're not going to be able to read it in a university because there's going to be a filter there. You're not going to be able to read it at work because there's a filter there. Okay, so that was one particular method. And then I said, okay, that worked. Next thing, let's see how these um, hackers are real hackers or they're very reactive. So I took all their emails because I was on the mailing list and I said, I'm going to dump this somewhere that's going to piss them off. I did it on Breitbart. And I said, let's see what happens. So I started watching them you know, go in and start trying to hack into me after this was leaked out. They didn't pay attention to the information that was leaked out because some of it had their Excel spreadsheets with all their usernames and passwords for all their accounts. They also didn't realize the number one person they um, kind of tried to befriend that appeared as my adversary was also me. So I always knew ahead of time what they were doing. And this goes back to the premise of Robin, know who you're talking to. Okay, know the people you're talking to, especially if you plan on doing anything with them. Okay, because social media is just there to collect your information and do everything. So from there, you know, I created other experiments, so on and so forth. Some of you know where Robin 4 and 5 are, but that was kind of where all the Robin Sage stuff went. Digging in a little bit more, Tom, um, and I don't know how much you can share, but um, what were some of the ways, though, that from a social engineering perspective, um, you had some really interesting things. You had job offers. You had um, people high up in the military wanting to take you out to dinner. Um, you know, at what point, where's the line, though, in social engineering is, that, is a kind of a question you know, I think everyone has. I got that um, FBI agent. <laughs> wait, what's that? I'm sorry, what? That, that's why I got that comment from the FBI agent about how far. Uh, yeah, well, yeah. So, I mean, just for everyone in the room, I mean, we have a lot of people who are red teamers in the room, right? So we're constantly having to deal with that ethical question of, you know, where, where, at what point are we exposing risk? At what point is this just, you know, astronomically, you know, scary or atrocious, um, but, you know, really, you know, pragmatically, how do we move forward as an industry when these types of things are exposed? Well, the fact that you brought that up, the, all, all the social engineering, I told you the story about how we took over a hedge fund with a dating app, right? Uh, I, no. <laughs> no. Uh, that's terrifying. Yeah, through Tinder. It was it was an interesting experiment. And the interest the real interesting part about it was I was training one of my mentees on that one. You know, so it helped out a lot. And the way we did it was, you know, we we did a little OSINT on all the key players in, in the room. And then we created personas like that on social media. 
pretty much on Tinder. So we knew, and then we got outside the offices when they were there, and then they would connect there. The purpose of it was not to, you know, try and go on a date with them. The problem was with the social media apps, they gave your geolocation and your distance away from you. So as we were doing the red team and actually infiltrating the place, they wouldn't, we wouldn't know if they were close by. So while we were doing things. So for instance, if you're going into a building, building security, there's two different ways to go in there. You're always really nice to the building security guys, buying them lunch, they give you whatever you want. The other way is, is you're gonna social engineer, you pick the right time. Valentine's Day is coming up, it's always the ripest time. You show up as the flower delivery guy, okay? You go there, you make sure your target is left the building because you know who your target is. You do a spoof call into the building, okay? We know we can't do this because nobody's at work, so don't worry about it right now. You do a spoof call into the building and down to the security guard desk from that person's phone number, the guards automatically give you a badge and let you in, and then you're free to roam. Then you're there to drop whatever tools you need to around the office for remote access. So those are some examples, thank you. Yeah, thank you for that. Um, yeah, there's just so much to unpack there. I just I find it also fascinating. Um, um, but uh, I'm gonna you know move along on the moderator panel here. Um, so Lisa Beth, author of Raise Your Game, Not Your Voice, um, I'm sure has a number of questions for you. So uh, pass the mic to Lisa Beth. Hi there, Tom. It's absolutely fascinating to me hearing um, some of the work that you've done. Um, and, and the path that you've taken, um, as well as some of the things that you've done from a research perspective. Um, so coming from the side of legal and compliance and ethics, one of the challenges that we have in that profession is connecting and understanding some of the things that are going on in the cybersecurity and um, uh, uh, information technology space. How do you go about connecting with people who just aren't in your field and helping them get it? That's what, what I've learned. The hardest part is trying to, well, lawyers are usually always open to discussion because the easiest way to handle lawyers is you just go out for a drink and you know, you sit there, you relax, you explain things. Some of them get the, you know, that's kind of why some of my little tribe, like the Jennies, um, kind of understand because they're there all the time. Jack's another one in the crowd. She understands because same mindset comes from the military, had to do some of these things. Explain the hardest people to explain this to are the small businesses because they seem to be the most naive that they think they're never going to be a target. I said, well, who do you do business with? And there's always a small business that has that one good contract and you could become a target just for that one good contract and then they don't realize it. And then they look at cybersecurity and realize, wow, this is really expensive. And trying to relate with them on how to do this is the toughest part. Um, and, and it's been, it's been something that's been a little bit of my passion lately because, because of that, you know, like right now, if you were to go around Clubhouse and say, well, what's the biggest problem you have? They'll tell you their social media accounts are getting hacked and they have no way of recovering it. And they've taken over their small business completely. 
because they've relied on Facebook and and usually the hack the hack scenario is relatively simple. They compromise your Gmail. From your Gmail, they take control of everything. It's done in a short amount of time. So th those are some of the the tough things. I think that's why you know a couple of us have talked about we're going to take this up a level, not to sound like the marketing people, and then you have the magic nine ninety seven price for an online training class. But Katie, Jennifer, and a bunch of others who said, you know what, let's just start doing some free YouTubes about this and doing some free Zoom calls. So last week, Tom Brennan and I tried this one and we did it on attack surfaces, kind of to see if people even understand what their attack surface is. Okay, nowadays, the average human, their attack surface is everything electronic. Okay, one of the weirdest researchers I've looked at was if I hack your phone, can I take over your car? And then if I take over your car, can I hold it for ransom? You know, because we're so connected with our electronic devices, you know, it's it's a limit of where your mind goes. And if we talk with everybody else in this room, everybody has a different approach. And that's that's what why I kind of like the cybersecurity industry the most, because of the diversity of thought. And then things like this where Thomas, you know, asked me, you know, if all of us got to a table, I can only imagine the crazy whiteboarding session we would have. How do we handle this scenario? How do we handle this? Um, and then we would probably run live training exercises. You know, I mean, and that's kind of how I look at it. The only one who I think has a little bit tougher was Thomas, and I was going to tease him and I was going to ask him, did somebody really use, you know, like, you know, a, a deep fake, like deep fake live to say Tom Brady retired? Because that kind of blew my mind. Well, I am all in for a whiteboarding session whenever we can find a time to do that, because I think we could solve a lot of problems and work collaboratively together on a lot of different areas. Um, so thanks for sharing all of that, Tom. I'm going to turn it over to Anil. Thank you, Tom. Appreciate the backstory, background. I knew we had a connection, also a product of Sunset Park, um, and also reliving some of that, that, those histories of, you know, um, you know, 2600 getting out there back in the day. Uh, a question I did have for you, you know, per your background, per your experiences, having been on the offensive and defensive side, when you're engaging customers or clients or even your teams, how are you helping them cultivate that security mindset? You, you've had roles where you've got to step into those opportunities and those roles and delve into that space. But how do you, almost double dipping into Lisa's question, how do you cultivate that mindset? How do you engage your teams? How do you stay abreast of what's happening in the space, especially for those folks who are uh, trying to get into the field? Right. That's always the interesting part because, you know, who, who do you teach and then do they take that training with them too? So usually you have to give somebody a shock factor. Okay. What I mean by a shock factor. Okay. You know, you usually get their permission and say, can I show you something? Okay. And a scenario would be, we'd be out for drinks. 
okay? Maybe I'd have Katie or Jennifer come up and distract you and say, hello, oh, how you doing? Boom, they would swipe your phone, okay? Little, little trick we used to do on the red teaming side, if it was in the rules of engagement, you swipe your phone, you pop it into something like, say, black bag. Black bag, I can take a, enough intel off of your phone in a quick swipe and all the data off your SQLite database in about 15 minutes and get it back in your pocket. And then say, oh, you know, and then you'd have more things to talk about. That's one thing, okay? And you have to be cautious about your approach. That could be one way. Other ways is just walk them through it, okay? Um, I got called on a couple of different cases where it got interesting. So we met with a couple of people and I said, okay, how do you handle this one? And I literally had a call today about this before the rooms. It's like, okay, I got a bunch of people going through the Olympics. What should I do with their phones? Simple example. From that security mindset, you know you're going to China. Um, they have back doors we have no clue about. I would say, I tell them, don't, don't overthink it. Just grab a burner, grab a different SIM, and that's it. Don't try and use your same SIM. And then have some fun when you get back. Take the burners and do some forensics on them and see what happened. One guy that comes into the rooms here, Jonathan Data, you know, Jonathan Scott, he was showing a lot of interesting stuff that had happened with the Olympics app. And from the competitive intelligence perspective, it makes a lot of sense. So they would take control of your mics, listen stuff through the app that everybody was forced to have on their phone. So different scenarios like that. So how would you protect those people then? Okay, you, you can listen to everything they say. That's fine, but guess what? You can also collect everybody's phones and put it in a Faraday bag when you're having important conversations. All right, key things like that, simple solutions. You just have to think about it. And that's kind of how I look at I hope that was helpful. Awesome. Appreciate that, Tom. Brings me back to prior engagements and doing some of the same exercises experience. So it's great to have you convey the same. Back to you, Tomas. Sounds good. Look, great conversation so far, uh, Tom. Obviously, thank you for, for sharing a very interesting story about uh, uh, Sage, Robin Sage. That was a uh, man. Wow. Got to talk about that one offline. Great uh, in that one. Yeah. Um, so look, it's it's 8:52 p.m. Eastern time. I know Tom Ryan is pushing to try to get us past our 9:30 p.m. Eastern time. We'll see how that works out. Uh, but if you do have a question for Tom, please raise your hand. We'll bring you up on stage. Uh, I do see Tom Brennan has a question. I try to bring him up on stage, Tom. Hey, uh, Tomas, can I ask a question? Thing again. Go for it, Jennifer. I Thank did you. See you there. Go for it. Yeah, yeah. Thanks, Moss. Thanks, thanks everybody for having me up. Thanks, Katie, um, and everybody. Um, hey, Tom. Love, love doing all this stuff with you, and you definitely know your attorneys well. Um, and it great hearing all this additional background. I've heard most of these stories, but I love having you um, present them in this this thought out manner. Uh, definitely do your research and are have a lot of expertise um, across this. And I know that you prepare for things. Um, recognizing that. What OSINT tools did you use to prepare for tonight's interview? None. <laughs> oh, no, wait. Are you talking about the Google search I told you about? At least that. 
Tomas. She just wanted to tease you because we found Tomas in IMDb. And uh, I'm pointing out should. that Tom doesn't do anything without preparing. Just good. <laughs> That's all she was talking about. Tomas and his three little TV shows. Sounds good. Anything else you want to ask uh, Tom Ryan, Jennifer? I'm good for now. Thank you. I already know, right. already know what Tom Brennan's going to say, so watch out. <laughs> All right. Uh, Jax, thanks for uh, popping up on stage. Anything you want to ask uh, Tom? Jacks, if you're having trouble speaking, there's a little microphone on the bottom right of the screen. Uh, I think if you use an iPhone, I don't know if you use an Android, uh, you can just click that microphone and it'll unmute you and then you can talk. I do know that Jax is a real person. She's not a Robin Sage. Uh, she may just stepped away, so maybe we should go to the next person. All right, Jax, take a bathroom break. Mike, thanks for popping up on stage. Anything you want to ask Tom? Hey, thanks. Hey, Tom. Great stories. Great listening to as a uh, fellow Alexis Park alumni back in the day. <laughs> Some of those places yep. bringing back memories. Hey, um, since you brought up Robin Sage, would you speak to what I conceive as an underperceived massive threat, which is that of the use of these false personas? Um, I, I out some of them on LinkedIn from time to time to try to get people's awareness up. And some of the ones that I've traced back and taken apart are clearly targeted. Many are clearly state-sponsored. Just recently, I didn't publicize, I didn't make it public on LinkedIn, but you know, I had one that I sent me a request and I traced it out and it was obviously fake and it was obviously from an unfriendly place and it was in the friends list of a very well-known security researcher and I sent it to him. And would you just speak to like what a threat these are? Because I, I don't think the average person out there is really making that connection. And I know they're not taking the time to look into a lot of these requests they're getting. And there are some out there, I'm sure, that are entrenched going back many years, which gives them a lot of appearance of legitimacy. And it's just such a dangerous thing. What's your thoughts on that? No, it definitely is a threat. I had one operational for eight years before it got nicked. And she had over 12,000 connections, so on and so forth. Several of them were media contacts asking for information about specific stories. And this was like Robin Sage 10X. The way I like to look at this, when I did Robin Sage 13 years ago, the, the threat landscape has gone up 10X, okay? LinkedIn has its uses and misuses. Now, fake accounts can be used for numerous different things. Okay, so for instance, Facebook and Twitter, if you turn them into bots, they can burn up your marketing budget. And that's how a business would understand it because they'll constantly reply, they'll start to troll, they'll do things like that. And you can literally build in your own specific AI to say all of that. Okay, it's not that hard, now, especially nowadays. The other threat you have to think about is Okay, now that we have the great resignation going on, the great, the, the easiest way to exploit people 
is be a recruiter. Okay, you post as a recruiter. The one feature I did not like that Microsoft embedded in LinkedIn is they allowed you to send Word docs. I hated it as a person, but loved it from you know the red team side because now I can embed stuff in that Word doc. And everyone's like, well, I got EDR, I got this, I got that. It's all signature based. All I have to do is change one line of code that hash, hash value changes, it's not gonna be detected. As soon as somebody opens it up to look at the job requirements, they now have root and they now have access in. I wouldn't say root yet, it all depends on the person's role. All right, once you get in there, it's a whole different world. If you go look at the MITRE ATT&CK framework, another specific thing, um, go and look at how many of these threat actors actually start off with application security. They'll do SQL injections, different things like that. But the social media stuff is easy because it helps establish legitimacy. And then, hey, can I have a conversation or so on and so forth. You know, Daniel, you know, one of the other guys that normally comes in, he's, he's focusing a lot on the deep fake stuff. So we've goofed around and said, well, how much data does it take? Okay, he gave us some sites, how we can use it, different things like that. And as long as you have that collaboration and that knowledge share, you know, that, that's the key thing. I mean, all of us here are on Clubhouse. That alone is a threat in itself. Okay, because stop and think about it. What is your two-factor authentication with a bank? Okay, it's either a text message, which we can hack all day long, or it's your voice. Well, I can take your data from Clubhouse. I can take it from Twitter Spaces. Oh, by the way, if I compromise your password for your Amazon account, and you have, and you, your wife has an Alexa at home, I can take all the data from that and build a persona around you. It's not that hard. You know, a lot of people are thinking it takes a lot of advanced tech. They've made it easy enough for the average user. So that's kind of where that risk is. Thanks, Mike. Hopefully that answers your question. Uh, thanks for popping up on stage. Jenny. Thanks. Sounds good. Thanks, Mike. Jenny, over to you. Anything you want to ask Tom? Hey, Tom, Tomas and crew. Um, Tom, I wanted to actually um, commend you for all the work that you're doing to promote and support women in cyber. Um, you've certainly done that from day one, from any room that I've been in. Uh, you've also done a lot in your background to do that. So I think it would be great for folks in the room to hear what you've done um, in your background to promote women in cyber, because it's very impressive. Right. I always, I always like to look at people based on mindset because when I first went to DEF CON and I first went to Black Hat and, you know, 2600s, there was no differentiating people. It was just who can learn from each other, you know, and that was the good part of the old days. You know, everybody has a different mindset and you can, you know, when you start focusing, you know, who has what I personally always go to have a female on my team because they counterbalance the biases that I have. I mean, my number one team player is in the room here. She, you know, she puts up with the most of my shit and she's not going to say anything and she's going to get mad because I'm going to say it. So if you look at the second row and the followed by speaker section, yes, my wife decided to even come in and listen to this one. 
So the women in cyber stuff is, it was kind of weird to me because I found it a lot easier to train women than to actually train vets. I don't know if that sounds weird or not, but that's kind of how it worked out. Um, so one of my mentees, is, I'm looking to see if she's in here. No, she decided, no, she's in here. She's hiding. She's hiding. Oh, wow. My boss is even in here. Oh, this is interesting. So one of my mentees is down there. I'm going to call her out on this one because I told her not to call me out before and she has. So if you go look at RP, uh, my mentee, Renee Pollack, you know, we started off while she was over at Pace University, you know, and talk about ambition, you know, and just wanting to learn everything about the space. You know, that was the key thing. And then another one of my mentees, Morgan, she was the same way. And everybody has a different driver and what pushes them to that. So Morgan, who's not here, her driver was she went to a security conference and she heard somebody speaking and she felt she represented women wrong. So by representing women wrong, she's like, I want you to teach me to be better than her in six months. So basically six months of three days a week of teaching her what to do, you know, she, she was able to step up her game and, you know, truly get be part of a part of the team and go out and doing a lot of the social engineering, the pen testing, stuff like that. You know, it's all about the drive and the passion and, you know, that's how I vote at it. Thank you, Jenny. Absolutely. Thank you, Tom. Thanks, Jenny. Thanks for popping up on stage. Uh, before I go to Dave, Jax, are you back? Hey, I am. So sorry. You must have called on me while I was away. My apologies. <laughs> no worries. Go for it, Jax. Yeah. So, Tom, great discussion. So happy I was able to make it in here. Something that, that I always like ponder about and think think about, and I would love to get your, your thoughts around is, you know, we look at breaches and we see that 90% of breaches are caused by human error. Uh, for one reason or another, but we seem to, as an industry, rely more on technology to protect our network, and we're still having a rise in these breaches. So my question to you is, should the focus be more on stopping the bad actors, or should we shift to educating the public around and understanding what does a phishing email look like, um, how to stop things like that before it gets to our network? What are your thoughts? I think it's a multi-phased approach. Well, the phishing stuff works out great, but it also depends on your policy. Some people have a policy of, you know, you'll get fired if you click on it three times. I think that's the wrong policy to have, you know, and that's the tricky part. How do you teach people to make that more informed decision is how I look at it. And then, you know, kind of reward them. And then they think about, okay, I want to keep doing this. And who knows, maybe may even drive somebody to do that. I guarantee you I can send a phishing email to all the lawyers on stage. That'll be easy. Um, but that that but that's the reality of it. I mean, have I ever I've, I, uh, I, I know the first time I was I was hit and it wasn't from a phishing email. It was from going to the wrong website. And then I got hit with a a browser exploit which basically I remember it specifically because it 
it made me research it. It was Burbu B. It was back in 2002 because it dumped all my passwords. And I remember I did it because shortly before that, I found a hack that was uh, that was like the first HIDs, like personal HIDs for home. You know, and it, it, the situational awareness is a key thing. But how do you teach it at scale? I think that kind of has to be taught in school. I'm not the biggest fan of university, so it shouldn't be there. It should be done way before then. Now, and I always tell everybody from a hacker perspective, the, the youngest hacker on record right now is a nine-year-old hacking Blackboard to change his grades. Okay. Now, when people learn this stuff, now what happens to a female if her boyfriend does it to her? It's a different situation. Now, from a work purpose, humans always going to be the problem. Okay. I you take away all, all that type of hacking. I walk up to conferences all the time. When you work in competitive Intel, you know the right people to talk to. You of all people should know that based on your background, how easy it is for you to get information out of people. You don't take it technically, you, you take it to the conversation level. Okay. And how much information can you get to help them out? Nowadays, there's so much tech out there. It's easy to find back doors. It is like in, in my previous room, Alex was talking about RDP being open for the ransomware guys, stuff like that. And then I turn around and look at some of the tools that are out there. You can find that. Just go and look at census.io. You can, you know, if you know Jeremiah Grossman, his new stuff, bit discovery, holy cow, the stuff that that finds when you don't know your external assets, that thing is phenomenal, you know? And I'm sorry if I'm talking tools, Thomas. It's just, you know, when you're out there, you're looking, okay, what works, what doesn't work? You know, luckily enough, it's too expensive for threat actors, but that's a different story. You know, census.io, when log4j hit, I literally just went in there and Googled it. it well, it didn't Google. I searched for it in census.io and all the different companies that had it exposed. I was like, wow. And that's because census.io scans the internet like every other day. So finding these holes is easy, but also finding the most vulnerable ones. I, I've always found that the hardest people to teach in an organization is the executive assistants, you know, as the ones who report to the C-levels because they feel like they have a lot of power, but they're also the, the main target. So if I'm going to hit somebody, I'm going to hit them because they have access to the C-level and then the C-level after that. Or if the C-levels have drivers, hit the drivers because they're the ones with the power authorities. But that's me personally. Thank you. I hope that helped answer it, Jax. It did. Thank you, Tom. And one last thing, I, I want to concur with what Jenny said earlier about your support with women in the industry. You are the best. Thank you. Awesome. Thanks, Jax. I, Go ahead, I do fear Jax, Tomas, so watch out. <laughs> no worries. No worries. Uh, thanks for popping up on stage, Jax, and asking your question. Uh, there was something that, oh, I was going to agree with you, Tom, on your on your comment around admin assistance uh, having a lot of power. I completely agree with that. I, I tend to always focus on education awareness with, uh, with admin assistance as well, because they are... Uh, 
key holders, if you will, to a lot of power for some senior executives. But anyways, uh, Dave, thanks for popping up on stage. Anything you want to ask uh, Tom? Hey, Tomas. Great room as usual. And, and hey, Tom. Um, really, really enjoyed enjoying the conversation tonight. Um, I spend a lot of time, as you know, mentoring young people. And, and you, you, you had a comment about um, learning about, about risk and cybersecurity in university a minute ago. Um, as, as you look at, as you look at this next generation, that's, that's coming of age here and, and you talk about, you know, the nine-year-old hacker and, and things like that, what would you say to, um, to young people that are, that are looking at this, at this big, broad industry and, and trying to figure out where they where they fit into it what 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 advice would you give to a young person looking at cybersecurity as a whole um what what, what areas do you think are growing are growing a lot and uh and what are what are some of the best ways that that uh, that that our young people can can uh, can explore this industry in a, in a in a positive way and and and, and best ways to learn that's an excellent question so Young people are, you know, they're the future, let's face it. And they are learning so much faster than I can think of. So the reason why I say that, I've told the story several times. So my daughter, she's 14 months old, okay? She wants to get on the internet. She knows if she takes mommy's phone, she goes and puts it up to her face and she gets on the phone because she likes to FaceTime people. That's 14 months old, okay? Now... Think of where they'll be in the future. I think we have to really start revamping the education system. And we have to stop focusing on people in universities. I think what we need to do is, you know, you know how we used to have all these different trade schools? You know, it was part of high school. Imagine if we did that with security. We created a cybersecurity trade school. Okay. That would also help solve a lot of different problems. But how it would stop it would it would really help with the diversity problem where people can't afford to go to these schools because if you go for a cybersecurity course you know at a university you're out a hundred two hundred thousand dollars in debt now what if it was part of your normal learning and that's also where you take that training to to the students okay because now that they're talking about these things like the metaverse and everything else like this it has to be taught younger because when I, and, and Jennifer and I talk about this all the time, it's changing the threat landscape like you would not believe. So imagine a world of AR and VR. Okay, we have all this cool tech. Now imagine how that's gonna change the threat landscape for insider threat, for competitive intelligence, for social engineering, you know, for data that's lost. Okay, you go on Facebook, you're wearing your goggles, your goggles focusing on your retina and all this other information. You have high security areas. Where is that information? They need your retina scans to get in. Um, and that's kind of how I'm looking at it. It's drastically going to change it. And that's why it always comes down to the mindset. So I think differently than Katie. I think differently than Tomas. Now imagine getting all these people together. How do we fix this problem? You know, if there's other people in the audience from, you know, different schools, how would we go about and start a trade school? 
and do a pilot program and see if something like this works. I love that, Tom. What a what a what a what a great concept. Yeah, I also love that. I'd be highly interested in helping to collaborate on a citizen-led uh, like cybersecurity 101 sort of uh, like we could even do it as like a YouTube channel as a proof of concept to prove to the schools that it would be a valuable course to incorporate. Uh, honestly, I think Udemy and a bunch of the other courseware out there kind of prove that. Because me personally, I... So one, one of the things I didn't tell in the story, one, I never went to college, okay? I wanted to go to Pratt, but I didn't have the $8,000 a year to go. Yes, in art school, because guess what? I was pretty damn good at my little uh, pieces while I was doing graffiti, so I kind of went that way. But that perspective, I mean, I also look at if certain things didn't happen, where would I be? What if I stayed in the military? What happens if this? And I just think destiny has its own course. And I think the course kind of has to be, we need to build a trade school, especially with the big gap on this. YouTube is great for learning, but it's also great for poisoning people's minds because if you go to yeah. the panel, it could be a lot of misinformation. I totally agree. I'd also be on board with contributing to anything like a trade school and would, would be happy to can, uh, help collaborate on that. Yeah, this well. is David. Just so I totally agree with you guys. And there is something out there called the uh, Cybersecurity you know, Workforce Alliance that actually has a partnership with Department of Labor. And I think they have like four, eight and like 14 week you know, credit-based courses that give you, you know, like on-the-job training, like apprenticeship training that target, you know, uh, both, you know, individuals in high school uh, as well as, you know, college individuals as well. And I think they have, you know, approvals from the Department of Labor to kind of do it through a uh, apprenticeship program. Yeah. So Tom, I've been working. I've been working a little bit. I think you know on on a on a high school curriculum on, on risk on just on risk management. I the, the idea of a trade school, that's that's really cool. And I and 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 David, thank you for the for the for the uh, for the inf information on that workforce alliance too. Um, but yeah, I, I'd be I'd be happy to contribute however I could to something like that if anybody ever ever does spin that up. I think the idea of, of focused focused trade schools, you know, we've seen people run back in the back in the early two thousands, um, run MCSE boot camps and things like that. But I think I think that I think that that a, that a different approach to education is certainly something that we need to be taking a close look at, especially as automation and and AI continues to to sort of move forward. Um, it's going to be really important that we're we're giving our giving our children options, um, and 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 people that have to change careers that optionality of being able to to have pragmatic coursework taught by people that that are that are practitioners. Yeah, David, I couldn't agree more. Um, the current education system was built for the industrial uh, revolution, right? have people in factories so it's um it's completely outdated and you're hearing a lot about this right now right up there with health the health industrial complex and the educational industrial complex so moving to trade schools and as david said um internships with hands-on training uh you you know is picking up a lot of steam and speed which is awesome so i'm, I'm happy to help or get involved in any way that i can but um yeah great ideas 
Yeah, definitely great. Definitely good ideas. And look on that. I, I was reading something the other day where someone, uh, I think it was a woman was on in the metaverse and, and there was some sort of uh, activity that was happening that was not, uh, I, I guess, not favorable. Um, I think it was some online groping or something like that. So I, I don't know how that sort of works or plays out, but I think there there definitely needs to be a focus on what this new world will look like for, for our youth and, and how we're going to, you know, not only our youth, but our adults and how we're going to navigate that. So um, very, very interesting uh, comments, uh, um, Dave and, and others. Um, Daniel, thanks for popping up on stage. Anything you want to ask uh, Tom? Yeah, Tom, I, uh, as a question, uh, this is going to be a hard left turn, but here it goes. Um, I guess I was just wondering, I, I get the impression that you've had a, a fairly uh, large amount of experience in the cybersecurity world and uh, like as an actual day job. And that is uh, unique to the people that I interact with that have a lot of cybersecurity experience. And so I'm just wondering, in the course of your day job, before you got into an actual cybersecurity role, how much pushback did you get when you tried to raise concerns about like cybersecurity related topics at your day job when that wasn't actually part of your job description? And hopefully that makes sense. Oh, tons of pushback. Like that one government agency, there was tons of pushback. Um, and then the other one was when I had the VP of R&D position, I truly learned the politics of business. I found one exploit in SiteMinder that I could use all day long in pen tests. And the problem back then is it took so long for them to fix. It literally took three years. So that was the golden nugget for three years because now I bypassed your single sign-on solution all day long. That's a lot of pushback came back from there to where one of the bank executives told me, well, if you ever make this public, I guarantee you will not work in this industry again. I said, all right, I'll just copy and paste this into your reports for the next three years. And I did weekly reports, so just expect to see it. And he said, okay, thank you. Wow. That's a little reminiscent of some recent experiences I've had. I've had. Um, thanks for for sharing that. Um, yeah, it's not always popular to to raise a red flag when people that are in positions that are higher paid than you are officially aligned to the thing that you're talking about haven't already raised that red flag. That's for well, sure. Other ones I've run into, and this is uh, this is where OSINT comes into play. And it's something I've done in sales a lot. So it's knowing the people you're going to talk to. Okay. I'll give you a little advice, basically, because this helped me out in business from talking to my own company executives to, you know, meeting with customers. I, I use a little browser plugin. Okay. And basically, it, it'll tell you everything about the, the whole personality of the person you're about to talk to. Okay. And the reason why is because then you, you, you know how not to say the wrong things because my biggest problem, and I'm sure those of you that know me, my biggest problem is I'm kind of brutally honest. All right. And that's just always how it's been because and I expect people to be the same with me. 
So that's kind of how it works. Hope that helps. Uh, it would help more if you could tell me the name of the browser plugin that helps you not be brutally honest or touch on the topics that are going to be red flags. <laughs> oh, that's literally the exact S show I, I walked into. That's called finding a finding an ally internally in the company and uh, getting them to help you sort of navigate those uh, political bombshells or, or landmines, if you will, not bombshells, landmines. That might be uh, helpful. Try this plugin called Crystal Nose, K-N-O-W-S. Crystal. Thank you. C-R-Y-S-T-A-L. It will profile the person you're about to talk to. Thank you so From much. a disk perspective. You know, because the key things are everybody's looking at personality types. The hardest problem for people in the cybersecurity space is, you know, we're a bunch of freaking introverts, most of us. You know, the only reason why we're talking to each other on this app is because guess what? Well, it's other geeks, so there's a little trust right there. But is there full trust? And it's kind of how I look at it. Thanks. It looks like the app may have been rebranded to Crystal. Anyone looking the uh, the website is still crystalnose.com, but the Chrome app is called just Crystal. Anyone who's interested. Cool. Thanks, Daniel. Thanks for popping up on stage and asking your question. Tom, uh, it's about 9.23 p.m. Eastern time. I know you've had a long day. We've got to ask, ask you probably a few more questions, but uh, uh, really, really going to um, ask if there's anybody else that has any questions for Tom uh, and you want to jump up on stage, please feel free to raise your hand and we'll bring you up. Uh, I do see somebody with a party hat, so welcome to Clubhouse. If you're new and you don't know how to use the app, uh, it's a little uh, hand raised if you want to pop up on stage and ask a question. Uh, but welcome to our fireside chat. Uh, Tom, what are you reading? What are, what's in your uh, either audio books or physical books? Anything, anything, uh, anything that you're reading lately? You honestly want to know? Absolutely. Now, I think we're all a little scared after that answer, but yes. Uh-huh. Edge of our seat. Be warned. All right, there's two of them. All right, so there's The Man in the Arena from Eddie Gallagher, and then The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck. <laughs> that is a great Tell me about, tell me I about lo- that I love that one. book. <laughs> I have that also. I got I to download that one. Well, the other one you really got to read, uh, I'm shocked a lot of you, have you read The 48 Laws of Power? Yeah, I've read that one uh, a couple of times, actually. Robert Greene. Yeah. I mean, because my end game is not to sit here in sales forever. My end game is literally, uh, you know, pretty much start my own business again. And you know, from my lessons learned, you know, go forward with that. And ironically, when I do do it, I already goofed around with my boss. I said, you do realize I'm actually going to partner with the company because I make more of a commission as a partner than I do working for you. And he laughed at that. Oh, wait, he's in the audience. (laughs) Awesome. (laughs) Hey, can I ask another question, Tomas? Go for um, it, Jennifer. 
Okay, this is going to follow on the books that you're reading. Um, and actually, I'm reading Chris Hagney's book right now. I think it's called um, Hacking Humans or Emotional, whatever. It's on social engineering. How much of your um, role, and you've, you've discussed a lot of these examples, and they are tools as well as a, a strong social engineering or strategic component. How much of your um, activities do you consider on that? I would call it this sort of the soft side. This, you can use tools to help with your social engineering, as you said, like Crystal knows. But um, how much of it, it's also human intuition. How much of your your role do you consider like understanding that working with um, either working with clients, as you said, working with bosses who aren't going to accept your um, recommendations or your findings, working with customers, uh, you know, designing Robin knows. I mean, that's a lot of it's, it's not just technical tools. It's a lot of savvy and st strategy. How much of your role do you think you contribute to that, um, you know, leverage those skills? Tools, tools are always interesting because the one thing I've learned that's the greatest tool nowadays is all these marketing tools because they're excellent intelligence tools. Now with Robin, the tool I used was called Multigo. Okay. Cause I was friends with Rolf Temming while he was building it out. And we started building out all the different use cases behind it. And what can I do if I have your business card? Okay, so now I have your name, I have your email, I have your phone number. You can gather a lot of information. Well, what happens if I gather your real resume? Well, I can pretty much track down everything you've done on the internet and I can pretty much social engineer everything out of you. Okay, I'm not the smartest person in the room. There's other people a lot smarter than me in here. So, and, and that's why I always say it comes down to mindset. And sometimes that shared knowledge and mindset when you're working as a team is what makes everything happen. You know, so when you're doing that, when I did Robin, you know, a bunch of people knew. You know, Tom Brennan goofed around about it. He knew. Um, the irony of it is there was another character that was created around the same time, and they always accused me of being that persona. But I won't mention that name. The other thing is, when you're doing investigations on these fake accounts, there's always part of the real person that's left behind. Okay, so that makes it easy to kind of figure out who it is, you know, because believe it or not, we always leave a part of our real life in, in stuff that we created personally. So the more you find out about a person from OSINT, the better your social engineering can be. Uh, oh, we lost, uh, okay. Um, Hopefully that was good. Um, all right. Look, it is nine twenty-eight p.m. Eastern time. Um, Mods, any any final questions for for Tom before we kind of bring us home? No questions for me, Tom. I tell you, this has been so engaging to see such a big crowd and the stories you've shared with us and the just the in so many ways, you know, connecting the dots for old timers like myself and been around for a while. It's like, oh, that's why that happened. It's just been so valuable. So we definitely appreciate you sharing this evening with us. Well, Russell, the key thing to remember is timeline analysis. So watch for an event that happens and then watch what happens afterwards. 
and then you could kind of put together a story and you can kind of pivot to where somebody else may be manipulating a story. All right. All right. Look, it is 9.29 p.m. Eastern time. Before we kind of wrap up I, and, and go to final uh, sort of words and things like that, I do want to remind everybody, this is our weekly fireside chat. We do this every Wednesday. Uh, we've, we've got a great streak going. Uh, so please join us next week. We do have uh, the, the CEO and co-founder, I believe, uh, Jessica Santana. For, uh, she's the co-founder and CEO of America on Tech. Uh, so it's a great organization. If you've never heard of them, uh, please tune in next week, Wednesday, 8 p.m. Eastern time, and we'll go through the uh, conversation and get into know Jessica. Um, so with that, Tom, I'll leave you some final words. Any words that you want to share with the audience before we kind of conclude? So first of all, I want to thank all of you for having me in. I figured my title is, you know, a solutions architect may not be good enough for the room, but you've proved me wrong. I'm shocked nobody asked the question why position, but that's for another time. Now, with that being said, you know, final words for this, you know, just stay safe. You know, the world's a crazy place right now. And don't click on shit. That's simple. Love it. Don't click on shit, people. Definitely don't <laughs> do that. And uh, and take care of your mental health if you going through anything stressful uh take remember to take some time for yourself because it is uh it is tough times these days all right mods uh thank you tom again thank you for your service thanks for taking the time out of your busy schedule i know you have back-to-back -back sort of clubhouse calls today uh so i appreciate it we appreciate you you know hanging in there with us uh and sharing your story it's been a pleasure my friend and uh, everybody have a good evening we'll see you all next week cheers Excellent. Thank you. Have a great one. Thanks, Tom. Good night, everyone. Night. Thanks, Tom.